Before we begin, we have a favor to ask. If you like this podcast, please help us spread the word about the show. Go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Another way is to tell a fellow art teacher. Either way, it helps others find the show. The Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast has a lot of information regarding teaching art, not just for tab teachers, but for anyone who is looking to further their understanding of children in a choice-based classroom. This show is about finding new ways to engage children and help them find their voice through visual arts. Welcome back to the Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast. I'm Clark Freilich. This is the second podcast of our series, Conditions of Creativity. This series will focus on the conditions that promote creativity in the TAB classroom. Autonomy, play, collaboration, risk-taking, and time. In this episode, Clyde and I sit down and have a conversation about play. All right. Clark Freilich's ongoing project. We're playing. Blocks, paper, scissors, the baddest art education uh, podcast around. It's the only tab podcast around. Welcome. Welcome to episode 16. The experiment continues. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. In our last podcast, we were talking about the elements or the conditions that... Conditions. Conditions that... uh, conducive or where creativity is conducive yes we covered autonomy and giving kids um, unstructured time it's uh, interesting and fascinating to see what they do with that <laughs> with that autonomy and and uh, as a uh, teacher who is ready to unleash the genie in the bottle um, you know are you prepared to accept idiosyncratic behavior you know, that's within the realm of acceptable behavior, but you know, right. s- some children, you know, their fallback, their their base behavior is play. From my mind, that's, I mean, they're, that's a good thing. They're biologically hardwired for play. So today I thought we would uh, kind of hit on play as a um, topic, and, you know, that's how children learn. Now, I teach elementary. I teach kids age 5 to 10. Uh-huh. There's a lot of play that happens in my classroom. No question. And I think that is one of the ways, or probably the best way that children can learn as opposed to... Time on task. Time on task. Work. Worksheets. Work Charles Dickens' workhouse. Sit, sitting quietly. <laughs> Please, sir. <laughs> may we have some more porridge? More porridge. You want more porridge? <laughs> After your tests are taken. <laughs> well, um, you know, that's a heavy weight for uh, a seven-year-old. Or even a five-year-old to make sure that, you know, that they're allowed to. They come in to a situation in school that they most of them are unfamiliar with in having yes. to sit down and listen for a long period of time. The child is 36 months removed from, you know, being in their their mother's arms for the most part. You know, they're 
36 months removed from being just, you know, learning how to walk. And here you put them in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, into this institutional setting. And uh, it's, it's a, it's a uh, very dramatic shift from being in the loving arms of your, of, uh, well, let's hope that you have loving arms at home mm. um, because that's necessary for normal childhood development. But uh, when you take a child uh, from home and put them in the school, um, they're immersed in the institutional setting of K-12 ed. And it can be psychologically stressful for a lot of kids um, just getting used to school, but uh, thinking about the rigidity of the, uh, the schedule. And now some people would say, well, you know, they have to get used to it. And, um, and I say, um, you know, you are uh, not sensitive to uh, the delicacy, the, the, the delicate dance of, uh, of childhood and child development uh, and the needs of the child. You know, thinking about children's physical needs. Uh, they can't run and play for the prime time of the day. They're inside restrictive environment in, in a schoolroom, and uh, they are learning through bodily kinesthetic, imaginative play. They're hardwired for that, and here we put them in this institutional setting um, where they're in, you know, uh, sterile rooms um, and um, sitting at desks doing information processing tasks. I want to read to you this paragraph from Growing Up Creative. It's a book that I picked up. This was written way back. I think this was the first book that Teresa Amabile mm-hmm. wrote. Yes, Teresa Amabile. Um, uh, so this is copywritten in 1989. So creative homes are often noisy and playful. It is through play the kids learn, challenge themselves, and discover their strongest interests. Research has shown a direct connection between playfulness and creativity. Children who have spent time playing tend to be more creative on tasks they do immediately afterward than kids who go directly from one task to another. The important point to remember in playing with children is to avoid Mm -hmm. over-controlling. Even if uh, your child is having some trouble figuring out how to do something, give him or her a little time and space to figure it out themselves. If they are using a toy in the wrong way, leave them alone. Uh Maybe they just discovered a new right way to do it. Right. And one of those, you know, there's several things in there that we in our tab classrooms emphasize. No one way to do something or giving them time to figure it out. Right. Uh, Letting them struggle with a a new skill, new material. And um, I had a student, kindergarten student last week. She has been making masks Uh and just paper masks and Mm -hmm. tying strings. And she's made two (coughs) of them. Uh And then this last time I had her in class, she was upset that it wasn't working. And so she was upset that her mask wasn't working. And I was talking to her, trying to figure out Uh why it wasn't working. Uh What what is it that doesn't work? And she couldn't figure it out. Uh And she was going to, you do it for me. Uh And I'm like, honey, I'm not going to do it for you. I'm not going to do something that you can do yourself. You uh, made two of these before, uh, and they worked fine. Yeah. What is different in this one? And she you know, she was crying and, and trying to... Mean art teacher. Yeah. 
<laughs> using tears <laughs> to get me to do it, and I refused to do it because I know she could do it. Uh-huh. And so we'll see what happens when she comes in next time. But kids have to have that struggle. They, they default to having right. the adult do it, yes. and that's not what I want to teach. I want to teach independence. Yeah, that's, that, that's problematic. You, you touch on something. I'm going to diverge just a little bit from play, but thinking about you know children's first... Their default uh, is to go to the uh, authority figure and ask for the answer. Instead of figuring it out or searching on their own, I cannot tell you how many times I've had people come up to me, students, you know, what's, how do you do, you know, what do you do here? You know, what's the answer to this question? I'm like, well, have you looked for it? No, it's easier to come to you and ask you. And so that's, I think that's problematic. Uh, they're, you know, the, uh, the child who uh, is not used to the struggle, uh, they're not used to uh, finding their own answers, will become, you know, has a dependence on authority. So your um, concept of, your idea of diverting really isn't diverting because that struggle is where kids play. Uh-huh. You know, when we sit down with a problem and we figure it out, we play with solutions, Uh just like artists play with materials or play with an idea. Right. Before they get into whatever they're doing, they will play with those colors. They will play with the materials to see how they are working. Uh And that part of play is really important to finding your voice and finding how you want to do things. So play is is one of those very important things that I know a lot of teachers will shy away from mm-hmm. because it could be loud. Yeah. It could be they give up more control yeah. when kids play. And what's the the difference between playfulness yeah. or play and, you know, serious play? Some people s- want to say serious play. Well, all, all play is serious mm-hmm. to a child, but trying things out, experimenting, trying to look at things in a different way is all part of play. Absolutely. Yeah, deep imagine imag- use of the imagination during play. Um, you know, imagination gets a workout. The body should get a workout too. Um, thinking about uh, Stuart Brown uh, and his work with play. Um, you know, the, the Institute for Play and um, his advocacy for more play uh, in in uh, in childhood for children. Um, uh, the the tab art room can be that special place where uh, play is a primary mode of uh, of action and doing and creativity. And I remember when when I was teaching at New Palestine Elementary not too long ago, um, and um, you know it was a noisy room. Uh, and it bo- that bothered some teachers, and they didn't realize that I was promoting uh, play with art materials and promoting conversations amongst children. And so I had to educate people, uh, administrators and uh, other teachers and and parents that you know this is serious. This is a serious experience in the children's. Uh, educational development and intellectual development and um, you know we the the block center became a super hot place I remember one day you you sent me an email you said I got a gift for you 
this is like 2007, <laughs> I think, 2000, 2006, 2007, your, one of your parents gave you like 3,000 blocks and you split them with me and you gave me, you know, it was like 1,500 blocks. And once we opened up the block center in my room, it was magic. We had kids planning during recess what they were going to do in art class because they could get their hands on those blocks. And of course, they were building block towers. And uh, it was about six years removed from 9-11. From and of course, everybody was still dealing with 9-11. Uh, and the children, older children who had witnessed it on television, you know, were building block towers and uh, dealing with their anxiety about that event through play in the art room but we had other f other kinds of play going on we had an, a puppet theater where we could do a puppet play and we could we had uh, also ways of integrating play was um, with group drawings um, we had uh, when remember you and I were doing research in boys secret art and and we would roll out these big pieces of paper and the boys would do battle drawings on, uh, you know, I'd have like eight boys would all grab drawing materials and we'd roll out a big piece of butcher paper on the, on the large tables and they would all, you know, they would reenact World War II battles uh, and, uh, and other battles. And of course, some of the kids, uh, the, this is during um, uh, the, uh, the Iraq War and uh, the the war in Afghanistan, and some of the children's parents were deployed overseas. So that was they could uh, reenact uh, battles uh, on uh, paper and could you know play with concepts of uh, of war. And uh, for many of them, it was it was uh, very significant significantly gratifying and satisfying for them to come to art class and and do those kinds of play-related activities. It's funny you mention that because I was thinking the other day while um, observing my class that I don't see a lot of that type of play or drawings as much now uh -huh. uh, because we're so far removed from the you know Desert Storm and uh -huh. those, those type of, um, you know, when we were actively involved. I mean, we still have kids whose parents are in the military. Uh -huh but not to the extent that it was then. Yeah. So w I don't see that a lot in my classroom. I still see uh, a lot of play with tanks and planes and things of that nature, uh -huh. but it's not to uh, the extent that it was with the drawings and the, the battle scenes that the kids would draw. Uh -huh. uh, kids seem to be more focused on Fortnite. Yeah. You know, some people don't allow that in their classroom it's just part of part of the kids world right now yeah you know two years ago it was minecraft yeah and i'm sure whatever comes next will replace fortnite as when they get sick of fortnite yeah five years ago it was angry birds <laughs> um that's that's the kids culture that's that's where we have to meet them you're right and we can't limit them or say they can't do things uh-huh because that's putting a damper on their imaginations. Yeah. And so we as the teachers have to be uh, thoughtful and thinking, I might not like it as a teacher. Right, that's but me. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> I, 
I I don't, but because all they want to do is the dances. Uh huh. So, so I'm just an old fuddy duddy. I've not. I need to educate myself about Fortnite and all these. And uh, you know, when Angry Birds was a thing, I I think I saw it being played a couple times. But and now Fortnite. Um, you know, I have lots of students interested in Fortnite or other kinds of game apps or games, video games. So trying to get them consensually to make art about, you know, the, their play activities. They would rather play the game than make art. I'm struggling a bit about how to get them, how to segue from the video game into a work of art. And can we draw pictures of our characters that we're assuming in Fortnite? Or can, can we, uh, what are some other ways we can create art uh, that are related to our gameplay? Because I, I, I realize how strongly they are connected to the, the video game. Some of them so passionate that I'm concerned that they are um, addicted to the game. I've, I'm trying to be reasonable with my some of my video game players. And, and I had a conversation with Professor Ronnie Rohr uh, about this on uh, Tab Educators. And, and I was expressing my concerns. She came back... Uh, with some information uh, from her son, who's a game designer, uh, and you know, there's a, there's tremendous benefit from playing the games and uh, intellectual benefit. But having said that, <coughs> my concern was that you know, when you come to art class, you should be able to still make art related to the game and uh, and use your interest in the game productively and creatively to create uh, some kind of image or uh, expressive art related to your interest in the game. So, so having said that, I, I did, <coughs> as soon as I had that conversation with Ronnie, uh, I observed some of my game players making drawings related to their, their characters in their video games. Or even collage. I think collage might be another way because they might not be comfortable in their drawing abilities uh-huh. but yet could do screenshots or whatever yes. to create their own images right using what's already there and and that was that was my suggestion to several of them i said you know i i realize you're fascinated with this game and if i if i were to take their their pda their personal digital appliance away from them their cell phone then that's the third brain <laughs> you have the right side, the left side, and you have the phone. <laughs> <laughs> if I take that phone away from them, they automatically uh, unplug and they just go into despair. And it's like you said, it's it's their third mind, their third brain. Um, they are uh, connected semiotically, or I should say emotionally. They're attached to those cell phones. So I could just, just put their cell phone in cell phone jail, take it away from them. But I don't, that's a part of their consciousness, it seems like. They, they really do identify, and, you know, those are really part of them. It is. Um, it is a part and of them. And so as in your case, in high school, that's another layer of that you have to deal with yeah. uh, that I don't have to deal with much in K4. Yeah. You know, I see it a little bit, you know, the bell rings, kids pull out their devices and, you know, in our school, we're a one-to-one. Uh-huh. It seems like the kids are always on some type of device. Yeah. 
so I've tried to lessen that a lot in my uh, art room uh-huh. by removing the devices and just letting kids play with their hands and uh-huh. getting their hands dirty. And over time, the requests for iPads and things like that have decreased. I use two iPads. I have an iPad stand for documentation of work uh-huh. using the app Seesaw. And then I have a free, I have one iPad mini that I use f- with kids for three-dimensional work for Seesaw. The only uh-huh. thing we use it for is Seesaw. Uh-huh. I haven't got into green screen yet or stop motion yet. Uh-huh. Um, and here, here we are playing with technology now. We're right. in, the, in, in, in video uh, video editing, video creation. <coughs> I was pleasantly surprised to see, uh, well, I'm always su- ha- happy when I, s- and, and my suggestion to people who like to use their cell phones in my room uh, is to make good choices with them. Re- you know, I'm re- trying to be reasonable and reason with them and allow them to make choices. Um, I think that's, I mean, that's why we work with choice. Well, if kids don't have, if kids can't make, if we make all the choices for the kids, they're never going to learn how to make the right choice. Right. So, so I was very happy to see um, many of my kids use the cell phone as a resource uh, and uh, as an optical device. And uh, as a matter of fact, we just started uh, our adult community-based art course called Art for Everyone. That started last Tuesday, right before the cold the cold wave hit us, um, and it was like the temperature was nine degrees outside, and we had thir- that's bikini weather. Thirteen, <laughs> yeah, bikini weather. We had we uh, a wind chill of about fifteen below, uh, and we had thirteen we had thirteen people show up. Our first art for everyone. We had uh, there was six adults. And uh, the rest were children t- between the ages of uh, 16 and 6. Wow, 6-year-old? And Yeah. And uh, they were all, s- <coughs> now we were all <coughs> using, you know, we were using our cell phones for research uh, in that class. And, and we use cell phones in our, in our regular classes for research or as optical devices. And, um, you know, people pull up images on their cell phone. And they use them as reference or to draw from them. You and I are doing that at the Indiana State Museum right now. Mm-hmm. We use our cell phones all the time. It seems like you know we're we're just taking pictures of uh, our uh, the subject that we're working with right now. Uh, is it still a secret, or can we say what it is we're working on? I've been telling everybody what we're working on, so, so I guess it's not a secret. So we're so. What we're trying to do is recreate in cardboard uh, a 20-foot-long uh, a mammoth, or I'm sorry, a 20-foot-long mastodon, uh, and try to make it life-size. Uh, and there's a, a, a fossil, a uh, fossilized version uh, down in, you know, on the first floor of the State Museum. You and I are going down there taking many field trips, uh, almost in like a play mode, and taking photographs with our cell phones, taking them back up to the third-floor gallery, and using those as reference points, or reference uh, uh, material, the photographs that we take, and uh, using using those photos to guide our uh, our, our our creative uh, action, because I mean, okay, there's I mean, we don't have an instruction book to go by, uh, so we're just 
playing, you know, every move is like a play move. So we're just playing along, building this uh, this cardboard monolith. We're writing our own instruction book, and that's what a lot of kids do when they're playing. They write their own instructions. Right. And if we show them one way of doing it, and I know when I show kids, I said, this is one way of doing it. Uh, you can do it this way, uh-huh. or if you can come up with another way. Uh-huh. We are certainly open to see how you do things. Yes. I remember when I was showing, this is when my daughter was in elementary, and I was, I can't remember, we were doing something. I think the steps that I used, there was like six or seven steps, and my daughter was able to do it in like two, uh-huh. two or three. And she was, well, here's, here's how I do it. Uh-huh. And at first, I wanted to say, no, that's not how you do it. But <laughs> this, this was a while ago. This is when I was new to uh-huh. TAB. And she definitely showed me that my process was long and winded compared to her process. You're but an old she, man. she came up with the, you know, the right way of doing it. You had the old man's way. My way, which was locked in and old, and hers was new. <laughs> so there's always new ways of thinking, and we just have to be open and flexible to allowing that to happen in, in our classrooms. And a lot of that comes through play and playfulness. Right. We, we have benefited over the years from meeting up with lots of art educators who are play advocates and masterful at play. And uh, I'm thinking of uh, our good friend George Sakelli. Yes. And um, I have several of his books. He's I a prolific author, has many books. If you get a chance to visit with George, and or or if he if he's visiting you, he always has a container, typically a suitcase, filled with toys and items for play. Um, thinking about my own room, you know, George had a huge influence on me. I I'm like a rat pack, but if I see something that we can use as a as a uh, an object for play, and I'm thinking about you know my blocks and marbles and microscopes uh you know string yarn cardboard hot glue tools <laughs> you know think about the tools as you know construction items but they're also objects for play and playful use although you don't want to pl- you don't want to really touch hot glue while it's hot <laughs> uh but you know dolls um i i love to have little little dolls and use them. I used to have a box of toys in my elementary art room. And the kids would just, you know, some of the children would just love to visit the the toy box. And there would be my daughter's, after my daughter grew up, I I took her dolls. My wife was really mad at me. Mary's like, where's all of Kelby's dolls? I said, well, (laughs) they're at school right now being used. And, um, uh, but the children, you know, they are uh, would draw them or uh, make clothing for them or uh, use them in puppet shows. And um, he uses a lot of performance. Uh, yes. In his teaching, and you know, that's that's one of those things of, of play is the performance side of it. Yes. And you have to be comfortable performing certain things to get firing kids' imaginations. Yes. I know that he always, in some of his books, he's looking at how kids play in you know, every part of their lives, uh-huh. it be it in their bedrooms or in the bathtub. Yeah. 
or in the kitchen or uh-huh. doing chores. Yes. And how they consistently play and find ways, you know, either of making it fun to do or just using their imagination. W- when you're in a play state, you're in you're in an, uh, a, a a very advanced state of. Uh, fantasy where you know the imagination is uh, enhanced to a a high degree so if you can if you can imagine something and then act out on it uh, and you get used to doing that that's that's a that's a major intellectual skill if you can realize an imaginative idea in two three or four dimensions Think of the power you have later on uh, as an adult if you can do those things and and uh, and uh, apply that creative imaginative skill in other uh, fields or uh, professions. How important the skill is derived from play, the use of one's imagination. Yeah. Before we uh, wrap up, I want to. Is it time to wrap up? Well, no. It's n- well, we. I want to talk about how we encourage player playfulness i mean we we've hit it but there's some specific things that we do or can do in the art room yes or in the tab classroom to encourage that and just how are some of the ways that you encourage play in your students and you have older students your high school and so play looks different to you than it does in my classroom. For those high school listeners out there, how do you encourage play in well. Mr. Gaw's <laughs> awesome art room? In Mr. Gaw's messy art room. <laughs> well, uh, um, you know, I, I could not change uh, much from my elementary way of doing things into high school. I still, like... So I want you all to imagine you're walking into Francis Bacon's <laughs> Francis studio. Bacon's studio. <laughs> Have you seen the photographs of Francis Bacon's studio? Absolutely. <laughs> That's why I was giving a visual <laughs> reference. That's quite a studio. And so is uh, one of his uh, countrymen, um, Sigmund Freud's nephew, um, Lucian Freud. He's got his studios are like he flicks paint on the walls. <laughs> You have all these paintings. You have your space that works for you. <laughs> but my but my studio is a little bit cleaner than your studio. Uh, but, but I don't clean it. The kids clean it. So that's good. You know, kids play when they clean. So if, as long as they're cleaning it up, the less I have to do. Yeah. But back to your uh, studio and how do you encourage your students to get into that playful mode? I play right in front of them, and I. You know, like, you know, which is the typical tab classrooms uh, sequence. Uh, you know, you have uh, introductory announcements or lessons. And we're, we're getting into cardboard construction. I cannot tell you how many times I have c- made cardboard airplanes or cardboard spaceships or cardboard dinosaurs and done like a dinosaur fight in front of them. And, you know, it's, it's you know, of course... You know, I can make sound effects, you know. <coughs> you know, and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and they and I'm playing with my cardboard sculptures and they get it. And of course, you know, it's funny watching a sixty year old man play with his cardboard sculptures, but they get they get the 
the gist of it. And, um, and so after I stopped my little presentation, you know, everybody's loosened up a little bit for the most part. And I just kind of leave them alone. And, uh, and then I'll start interacting with other students and, uh, you know, talking about art and we'll have lively conversation. And it's an open studio. So I'm, and I'm actually encouraging people to have conversation and playful stories. But we do have, we do set guidelines for conversation. And I have talked to them about artful, aesthetics-based conversation. And that's important when you're uh, setting up a structure and expectations for conversation that can lead to play and playful storytelling and uh, conversations related to art and art play. And, uh, and so we do have guidelines that help us with our, our talk and our conversations in the art room. And the, 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 tough things, the tough thing about an open studio and democratically ran uh, classroom like what we have in our art room at New Palestine High School is sometimes the kids forget that they're in school and um, they make bad choices with their words and they'll use profanity. So I have to remind them that, you know, that's not a community uh, that's not within the uh, acceptable boundaries of good taste and not, you know, that kind of language doesn't meet community standards. So I'll have to remind students who use profanity. But for the most part, our conversations are based, they're very playful. And, um, you know, we'll talk about anything uh, related to student interests. You know, they have interest in cartoons, animation, voice, voices. Uh, we have a, a Russian uh, interest in uh, Russian characters. And uh, one of our students, are, uh, uh, I'm thinking of Blaine and Jacob right now. They're, <laughs> they're making, they're always talking with a Russian accent and it's hilarious. And, um, uh, and so I'll, I'll get to talk to them with my Russian accent, which is not very good. So th the other children see us having playful conversation, and that leads to a playful environment. And it really helps with the vibe culture of the room. When the teacher uh, is accepting of idiosyncratic play and playful storytelling, I think it creates uh, a, a wonderful creative environment and uh, and that's that's how I you know we uh, we have a lot of conversations that are playful and that leads to more play yeah in my classroom because I teach k4 it's a lot easier to get those kids involved because play is such an important part of themselves uh -huh. at such a young age yeah uh, and as you they're hardwired they're hardwired you know Picasso said all, all kids are artists right uh -huh how to keep them that way and sometimes you know they start losing that uh, their societal pressures to not be so playful in my classroom you know you mentioned blocks earlier we uh, always have blocks because yeah. block play is, is is very important not only to the development of children but just trying to figure out things with pattern and balance right and the mathematical logical uh, benefits right of block play so I have blocks and not just wooden large wooden blocks which are different than the small interlocking blocks like Legos. Uh -huh. I have magnet blocks that stick together with magnets. The nice. kids really like those because they're very colorful, clean and, and a lot of times 
block play leads into story play yeah and using imaginations and you know that's important in my classroom and then another thing that i really try to promote is curiosity yes just putting stay curious something yeah something out there that's going to make them ask what is that or why and so every once in a while i'll put something out you know like you said the microscope uh i have a microscope out and you know we're talking about weaving and i'll say have you ever looked closely at different types Mm -hmm. of fabric Mm -hmm. and so they're they're fascinated by looking through the microscope and seeing what fabric looks like up close or they look at a piece of string and then they come to the realization that it's made up of hundreds of tinier strings. Uh-huh. I know sometimes I'll put out uh, art games uh-huh. that they can play, uh-huh. developing our own art games. And you, I know you do art traps, which is, you know, again, you're tapping into the curiosity. What is this material or why are, why are they set out? Okay, remember when we did when we do art camps, they're like total experimental laboratories sometimes. And your spinning game that you created, mm-hmm. we still use that whenever we need to. But that's like a fascinating that is fascinating for many kids who are stuck on creativity. And it's and and we I'll have fun demonstrating. I'll, I'll say, look, you don't even have to think. Just spin the wheel, <laughs> and it tells you what to do. I had a kindergartner the <laughs> other day was pulled out the uh, the spinning wheel uh-huh. and watching them I'm like can you read that and he's like no but he just likes spinning it you know yeah. <laughs> so he was he was he was enjoying it and I had to remind him that not only do I have the words but I have the drawing type uh-huh. and I said well this is the type of line that you might draw and the color that you see you could use that color for your line if you wanted to uh-huh. Or you can spin a second time to get the color. Is that your parole officer? <laughs> no. <laughs> Music teacher. <laughs> but you can keep talking. I'm just going to text her back. So the spinning game, you know, I cannot tell you how many kids benefit from that. Because, uh, and I was talking to Meg Hart, my 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 new colleague at New Palestine High School. And she's, she's like a, she's like this young sage, uh, and uh, we were talking about, um, you know, helping children who get unstuck, having problems with imaginative thought and just with having the courage to start something on their own. And games provide children with a easy way to begin and to, to get unstuck uh, and uh, to help them gain courage to take a risk to make art because for many children it's difficult and they're worried about being judged because once you start making a mark it's like writing you're uh you know when you write it's a self-portrait in the same way with making art you're extending your mind extending your thought through the medium which in our situation is visual art so a game like a spinning game, the spinning wheel with commands on it where the, the, the spinning arrow would land on, make a circle, uh, or maybe there might be another command that's a, you know, color uh, a, reds, a red shape. Um, you know, you could, you could create any number of commands on it. And um, the spinning game uh, allows the child freedom to observe the laws of chance and then act on it. You know, that's it's almost like the spinning game 
if you can make a spinning game, it's almost like a surrealistic experience. Uh, it, it is like surrealism, making a work of art based on the spinning the spinning game. Yeah. But you could do you could do the same thing with a deck of cards. You could say, okay, we're gonna you know we're gonna draw whatever number you know the you know uh, nine nine diamonds. You know, here pick a card. You could assign uh, rules and commands to based on each deck of cards. And um, that's so not too unsimilar to sometimes you go to some of these bookstores and they have these journals you know these creativity journals and they just give you a, a drawing prompt yeah and you know sometimes people just need a slight nudge yeah or a kick in the pants to say you know just get out there and do it yeah and that's what a lot of these journals do they just say draw some squiggly lines or yeah I've, I've seen some marvelous drawing books with those suggestions in them you know here's you know a hundred ways to draw here's a hundred inspirational prompts to draw and and they're all valid right um for you know particularly for people non-threatening yeah non-threatening and uh give you new insight uh for how to draw so um they're useful um but we can uh, a, a savvy tab art teacher can come up with their own also and uh give their children permission to invent their own Right. So that's really that's really hot stuff. That's real. That's a major intellectual achievement, if you can invent your own games. Mm-hmm. We're creating, not consuming. So. So we've been chit-chatting for almost an hour. Really. Seems like only a half an hour. I think that's this is probably a good place to stop. I gotta go home and make ham and beans. I gotta. You gotta go. Do somewhere. taxes. You're doing t- your taxes? Shoot, you I'm not doing taxes. I have to get them ready. I forgot about that. It's still January. You have time. I already took all my yeah. taxes. Well, Hopefully I, I can edit this easily. <laughs> uh, so if this sounds any different than our previous podcast, that's because I am playing with... You crashed your computer. I crashed my computer, and I'm playing with... A new recording setup using my iPad, and um, we're trying it out. We'll see if it works. We don't, we don't have your your usual capability. We're on something different this yep. time. That's the problem with doing a podcast is you don't know what it's going to sound like till it's over, and it might, you know, we might have to have this conversation again. Oh no! But <laughs> it'll be more playful next time. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be just as high quality as this one was. Well, we d- we just kind of touched on play. I mean, yeah. you know, there's so much related to play, and how important it is to make to have a space to play to integrate it into the curriculum, you know, and for the school to uh, be responsive to children's uh, needs and desire to play, and to have it integrated into the curriculum that way makes the school a more uh, desirable place right it really goes into the the culture of the school what was it that buddy what's his name oh yeah uh the gentleman from eminence from eminence high school School. Um, they're either running to you or running away from you right right and we want our kids to run to school right we want them to want to love learning buddy barry buddy barry yes you know play is 
play can play a vital role in that yes. culture shift. Yes. You know, are we going to beat them over the heads with tests? <laughs> and I say that now because it's January, February, and it seems like that's all our kids are doing, starting to get into, you know, test season. We, we didn't even really talk about the ameliorating benefits of play for children, children who have uh, experienced trauma in their lives. We, uh, play, active play is so beneficial uh, to uh, the neurological system uh, and um, to uh, intellectual growth. Mm -hmm. So we, can't, we just can't get enough of it. That's true. I'm not an expert, but I know what works. Yeah, we well, we've done our action research. We know we know what a good thing is, and we keep we keep uh, supporting it in our in our classroom. You got it. You got anything else good? Do you want to talk about? We got we've got uh, supposed to warm up. It's supposed to warm up. We got to uh, get our mastodon finished. I got to yeah. work on the tusks maybe today. Yeah. Oh, I, you know what I wanted to t I wanted to mention. I was looking George. Is it Kelly? George Sakelli is, aren't they hosting a play conference? Oh, yeah. George is doing a play conference in August, I think. I was trying to look it up. That'll be a good thing. Um, and, and I hear Lexington is a beautiful city, and so is Central Kentucky. Beautiful place. Yeah, I just, I know it was on the um, Tab Midwest, or the Tab page. Yeah. Keep wanting to call it Tab Midwest, but it's not that anymore. Yeah, it's a, it's a big tab group now. Well, <coughs> George is unforgettable. Uh, I know I first met him, and you and I first met him in, in 2000. Chicago, right? No, it was Boston. Remember in Boston? Okay. In 2005? Yeah. Met him in Boston, and then the he following year. He pulled out a suitcase, <laughs> and he opened up his suitcase, and it was, like, packed with art and toys and... Place play material. I'm like, I was like, holy smokes! He's a serious play artist, so and uh, I'll never forget my first meeting with George. Anything else coming up? Uh, just we have uh, art shows are like right around the corner. Spring art shows. Um, yeah. We've got Youth Art Month. Uh, it's February 22nd here in the state of Indiana. Uh, it'll be taking place in the county county seats of county government. And <coughs> here in Indiana, I'll be at the state capitol with uh, the Youth Art, Art Education Association of Indiana. Uh, it's on February 22nd on a Sunday, and we'll be getting ready for that. It's a big, big deal. Tab stock's coming up. The Tab Institute. Tab Institute. N yep. NAEA is happening in Boston. If you're interested in learning all things TAB, that would be highly recommended. I, um, was, I was hoping to get to the National Art Education Association. Association conference. That's but coming it's, up. It's coming up, but it's not looking good for me right now. My finances are yeah. taking a nosedive. I mean, not not that I'm ready to <laughs> <laughs> ready to go. We're art teachers. Soup, soup we're not. Line. We're not hedge fund managers. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be I, nice. I don't. Nice. I don't own a franchise of coffee shops. Neither do I. <laughs> but I really thank those people who do own those coffee franchises because I frequent them often. <laughs> I love coffee. I think that's my new staple. <laughs> I traded in my cheeseburgers for coffee. <laughs> well, you're, you look really healthy. You look good. How can you tell with my beard? <laughs> I know. You kind of you look like Rip Van Winkle. <laughs> I get the Ernest Hemingway a lot. Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, of course, I look like a decrepit old man, so I, sh I shouldn't talk. You're not decrepit. 
<laughs> I'm just addled. <laughs> All right, we're an hour in. We're done. Okay. listening to this episode of the Blocks Paper Scissors podcast. The Blocks Paper Scissors podcast is available from Podbean and iTunes. Just a special thank you to the East Hills for their generous permission to use their music for this podcast. Thank you. You about have to be done what you told